Now, I want to start with a confession today, and there's always a risk of uh, a confession in a public setting like this, because uh, there is a risk of a preacher drawing attention to himself instead of proclaiming him, which is his actual task. Uh, If I happen to do that, feel free to correct me or rebuke me gently afterwards. Uh, My confession is that I have been completely overwhelmed by the passage in front of us this week. Uh, Understanding and teaching God's word is always a daunting task. And not simply because you have to stand up in front of people and make a public speech, uh, but primarily because of the subject and content of the matter. The person whom you speak about and speak in the sight of is the creator of heaven and the earth. And the passage before us is so magnificent, and and I readily confess that I think I've only begun to scratch uh, the the depth of this passage. Um, So uh, I need God's help um, to preach preach it in truth and in clarity. And another thing that I, I need to make a confession of and see if you resonate with it, is that while I was awestruck by the wonder of this passage, At the same time, throughout the week, I found myself not being able to concentrate and gaze at the depth and glory of Christ Jesus that this passage points to. It's a paradoxical experience of Christian life, isn't it? Um, Last week, we talked about the significance of the gospel we have received and uh, one of the chief uh, tasks and the reason why Colossians is written is so that the Apostle remind us just how incredibly precious and rich and significant gospel of Jesus Christ is. Your Lord and your Savior is so that you keep loving Him, trusting Him and obeying Him and walking in Him. So my experience of the past week has been that on the one hand, I've been completely lost for words, marveling at just how amazing Jesus Christ is. Yet at the same time, my heart is so fickle, forgetful, and prone to wonder. So we need God's help at so many levels, isn't it? So would you join me in prayer, asking God to help us as we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our head, to be our friend, to be our everlasting bridegroom and saviour. Lord, when we gaze at the glory of your Son, we only see our vileness, his majesty and our meanness, his beauty, our deformity, his purity, our filth, his faith, our fickleness, his righteousness and our iniquity. Yet, Lord, we are overwhelmed at the knowledge that you would send this glorious beloved Son of yours to die on the cross for such people as us. And that Jesus has loved us everlastingly, unchangingly. Thank you for making us holy through him. Thank you for qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Fill us at this hour now with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that as we turn to your word, we would just see how glorious Jesus is more truly, more deeply, and more clearly than ever before so as to live a life that is worthy and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Uh, having begun with the confession, now I'm going to make an audacious claim today. This passage before, before you today, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, will teach you about everything. Now, it won't teach you everything about everything, but it will teach you the most essential, fundamental, and important truth you need to know about life. It will teach you important truth about everything. I mean, the Bible makes this claim from its very first page, doesn't it, that Alex read out for us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth is a Bible's way of saying everything. In the beginning, God created everything. And the story continues. The Bible teaches us about everything. Today's passage gives us a deeper insight into the truth about everything. As we are told in verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Now we're going to learn about everything today, the reason for the existence of everything, the purpose and goal of everything, the most essential truth about your past, your future, and your present. And most importantly, the fullness of God's character and plan in Jesus Christ. And if we grasp what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this passage, we will be equipped for every threat that life will throw at us in our Christian walk. And there will be many, but this passage will equip us for every threat that life will throw at you as you seek to grow in Christ, and even the global pandemic. It's a bold claim, yet it is warranted by the magnitude of this part of God's Word. Uh, we're going to look at verses 15 to 21st in two parts. Uh, first, Christ and the creation of all things in verses 15 to 17. Then Christ and the reconciliation of all things in verses 18 to 20. Uh, finishing off with uh, continuing faithfully in that hope of the gospel in verses 21 to 23. Uh, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He refers back to the beloved son in verse 13, Jesus Christ. He has made visible the invisible God, uh, who said to Moses, when we looked at Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You see, Jesus did more than teach about God. He's so much more than a religious leader or teacher. In him, God, the immortal, invisible, in light, inaccessible, has manifested himself in a visible, tangible, touchable way. Uh, in the beginning, humanity was created to be the image of God, as we heard in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, reflecting God's character and representing God's authority in the world and executing God's plan. Yet in Adam and Eve, the image was defiled. And since then, human history has been a long story of man after man falling short of the glory of God. But now, Paul says, without any qualification, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the new Adam, 
a perfect realization of what you and I were meant to be. At the same time, he is the perfect image of God himself, representing God, the beloved eternal Son of God, who was with God and was God from the very beginning. When you see Jesus, you see God who created everything. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Not only that, like Adam, Jesus uh, is the image of God, Jesus is also firstborn of all creation. Uh, the language of firstborn speaks more about priority rather than temporality. Um, ancient day heresies like Arians or modern day Jehovah's Witnesses point to languages like this to suggest that Jesus is not God himself per se, but firstborn, that the first created being. So he's sort of a demigod. But Paul uses, as all Old Testament and biblical writers, the reference to firstborn to speak not about temporality, but priority. When you look at the um, um, Genesis account, for example, humanity in Adam is given a firstborn-like privilege. Humanity was not created first in Genesis. They were created in day six. There were other animals created first. If firstborn language is simply to refer to temporality, however, God gave special honor and privilege and responsibility to Adam, saying, everything is under your care. Be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion over it, and subdue it. Now, and, and, and that, over time, firstborn privilege was passed on to Israel in Exodus chapter 4. Israel is my firstborn son. Then, to King David, as King David represented the people of Israel. But Paul says now, Jesus is actually the true and perfect firstborn of all creation. Not only Israel, not only a kingdom of Israel, but the whole world, whole creation, whether visible or invisible. Then he explains why that is the case in verse 16. Why? For by him all things were created. Everything belongs to Jesus because he created everything. All things find their source and origin in Jesus. Uh, to make sure we have got the point, Paul adds further classification, right? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether that be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He's saying, do you get it? All things were created. Things that you know and see, as well as the things that you do not know and do not yet see. Jesus' creation expands into the limitless galaxy and bottomless sea. Not only things that are visible, but invisible. Not only the physical beings, but every spiritual powers and heavenly beings are also created by him. Everything is created through him and for him. And think about it. This is an extraordinary thing to say at the time that Colossians was first reading this letter, receiving this letter from Paul about someone, some obscure man lived in Nazareth, from Nazareth, living in Palestine, who not very long ago was crucified by the Romans as a thief and a criminal. But this is 
the truth about Jesus Christ. Everything finds their source and origin and purpose in Him. And therefore, Paul makes a summary statement in verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Uh, in other words, Jesus is, and Jesus should be, Jesus must be, and Jesus will be supreme over all things. Whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not, that is the truth about Him. No power, visible or invisible, could ever challenge the supremacy of Christ's authority. Uh, if you are someone who is investigating different religions, so, so to speak, uh, different spiritualities and power, this is Paul's help to you. He's saying, there is no other spiritual power, no other religion, greater than Jesus Christ. There is no other God who is above Jesus. No need to fear the spirits or inquire of other powers to find safety and security or your destiny about your future. He is supreme over all things. You are created for Him. You are created in Him. All things are created through Him and He holds everything together. Christ sustains the very being of you. And in fact, the whole creation. It is not that I think, therefore I am. It is Christ is, therefore you exist. It is not through the accidental Big Bang and random mutation of purposeless Darwinism that you exist. No, you have your being because Christ is holding you together right now. The sun rises each morning, ultimately not because of the laws of nature, but because Christ holds everything together. That's what Paul says. The rain waters the earth and renews life and all that's in it. Not because of laws of nature, but because Christ holds everything together. Your heart beats, blood pumps and pulse beats every second. Neurons fire in your beings and billions of cells come together to form a life, to give you emotion, to, be, to enable you to think and speak, communicate, love, contemplate life beyond time, because Christ holds you together, because you are made in Him and for Him. Now, do you begin to see... Coming to know Jesus and trust Him as your Lord is a highly significant thing. It's not just something that you do for a few hours on Sunday. It's not something that can simply be kept away as your private life, moral life, for you to deal with your loneliness. Of course, Christ will answer your loneliness, self-esteem, or other things in life. But Christ is so much bigger than that. Do you see why the gospel is the word of truth? It speaks truth about everything. Time, space, history, purpose of your life, the whole plan, God's whole plan for this creation. Do you see why the gospel is growing in the whole world as it must be declared in all creation under heaven? why the gospel cannot be contained to a particular cultural group or to a Western society because Christ is head of all things. 
He created all things. He deserves on, worthy of all praise, as our music team sang for us. Now, if what Paul had said thus far wasn't astounding enough, in verses 18 to 20, Paul speaks further about the supremacy of Christ with a special relation to a small group of people called church. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, do you sense the shock? You're not shocked by that sentence. Just read it again. And he, who is this he? The one who created all things. The one who is the image of the invisible God, as we'll read sooner. The one in whom fullness of God dwells bodily. What's he head of? He is the head of the body, the church. I reckon I can feel the goosebumps of the Colossian Christians who are reading this letter at the time. This minority group, this small, insignificant, persecuted, Gentile group of believers reading this letter, and this is what they, what they hear. This Christ, who is head of everything, who created all things, who inhabits the universe from everlasting to everlasting, is our head. We are his body. The one who brought universe into existence, the one who fills the universe and holds every molecule in it, every nanoseconds of life, the one who is the meaning, purpose, and goal of all creation, has united himself to church. Church will have a special place in him, in his plan, and in his purpose. And that's the truth about the Colossian believers, and that's the truth about you. The ones who have come to Jesus Christ by hearing of the gospel. That's who you are. Paul continues, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is not only the beginning of creation, Paul says he is also the new beginning. Uh, something akin to creation, in fact, in fulfillment of and greater than creation has happened in Jesus Christ. Uh, what is it? The next clause gives us a hint. The firstborn from the dead. There's something Paul is assuming here, and it's not elaborated in great detail, but we know that from the rest, uh, reading the rest of the New Testament. The original creation was subjected to futility, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 19. And humanity has been subjected under death as a result of our rejection of our Creator. That's what happens when you cut ties with your Creator, who holds everything, who gives you life, you live under death. As a result, the first creation was as good as dead. But in Jesus, there is a new beginning, because Christ has defeated the power of sin and death. Again, listen to Romans 6, 9. Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Christ does not only have a higher power than heavenly powers, Christ has not only created everything, now Christ has power over death. He is sovereign over death itself, the last and most terrible enemy of God, according to 1 Corinthians 15.26. You see, Again, why I said in the beginning, if you grasp what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us here, you'll be equipped to uh, deal with every challenge that life will throw at you. Because if we grasp this, you'll be able to deal 
with death itself. You'll be able to recognize that Christ has defeated death for you. If death is defeated, if every power in heavenly places, visible or invisible, has been subjected to Him, and if He is your head, well, Colossians, well, brothers and sisters at Anfield Anglican Church, SPF, well, you've got everything. Don't shift away from the gospel. Recognize how amazing the gospel of Jesus Christ and how wonderful this hope is and continue on. And see where it's going, can you? Now, the next sentence is very interesting. He goes on that in everything he might be preeminent. You see, we thought Jesus was preeminent already, didn't we? Uh, what does it mean that he rose from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent? He's already said so much preeminent stuff about Jesus. All of a sudden, he comes and said that in everything, he might be preeminent. What's going on there? Turn to the person next to you and chat for the next 30 seconds, keeping social distancing in a safe manner. Call us back in 30 seconds. Go. You only got 30 seconds. All right, let's come back. I hope that was helpful for you guys to engage with one another and, and, and keep up with where the passage is leading us. Um, I won't get you to shout it out, but you, what you would have discussed is that, of course, again, there is something Paul is presupposing here that his readers would know. That in between creation and new creation, something has gone wrong. What's happening right now is that the creation that has been created by him and through him and for him is not relating to its creator as it ought. That's what's happening. And that's Bible's teaching of what sin is. Sin is rejecting God and rebelling against God or ignoring him who gave you life. And because of that, all creation at the moment is not what it ought to be. And that's Bible's explanation for the sufferings and disasters of the world. Bible does teach about everything, doesn't it? It doesn't, like other religions, try to uh, minimize the sufferings in life and say it's only an illusion. Uh, you try to uh, escape it. It's because you're too attached to the world. It has no real answer to suffering. Just as atheism is completely inept to answer the question about life in times of pandemic and when there are uh, millions of deaths and so much sufferings around the world, atheism is completely inept to give answer to anything other than, well, it's just bad luck. Or other than making things about political and bringing about further conflicts and division. Well, a couple of verses earlier, Paul described that situation where creation not su subjecting itself, submitting itself to its good maker as the domain of darkness. And as a result, there is a need for forgiveness of sins. Although Christ is the rightful ruler and heir, the firstborn of all creation, all powers do not presently recognize him and his preeminence. There is sin in the world. That's why uh, Paul is writing this letter. There is darkness in this world. There is death in this world. 
But, again, remember this, Apostle says, that will not go on forever. That will change. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has already inaugurated a new beginning. And the purpose of this new beginning is that he will become who he is. And when he returns, he will bring a new creation. That's another encouragement to Christian uh, uh, believers. That the things and disruption and chaos and disorderliness in the world, both in my life, your life, uh, uh, life as a whole in society and in globally, and the creation, uh, creation chaos, will not continue forever. Christ has risen from the dead. How is it possible to say something as extraordinary as this about him? Oh, it comes to the climax of Paul's words in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things. Did you notice that all the propositions we saw in verse 16 with regards to creation being made by him, through him, and for him are repeated here. Uh, the by in verse 16 is the same word as in in verse 19, uh, as well as the for in verse 17 is the same word as to in verse 20. Uh, in Greek, the prepositions are uh, very flexible. So, so one word can be translated to to, by, for, in, through. So when you see that, you can see the parallelism a lot more clearly. What Paul's getting at is that, in other words, just as there is nothing in heaven or on earth which does not find its origin and source and power in Christ, there is nothing in God that you do not find in Jesus. That all of God's presence and power, that immortal, invisible, infinite power and goodness and wisdom of God, is in Christ. There's nothing outside. There's nothing lacking in Christ from God. Now think about that. And again, the fact that He is your head. All of God in Him, and you are in Him. The fullness of God, the fullness of God's power, wisdom and goodness, the fullness of God's plan and purpose was pleased to dwell in Jesus. For what purpose? What's the end game? What's the goal? that all things might be reconciled through and to him. The greatest rupture in the unity and harmony of all things has been mended through Christ's sacrificial death, making peace by the blood of his cross. On that cross, evil power has been defeated. Death was laid in Jesus' grave. Sin has been atoned for. God is satisfied. Peace has been made. The message of Christianity, if you're someone unfamiliar to Christian, uh, what, what, what Christianity is about, this is a good, good thing for you to um, notice. The message of Christianity is no more, more remarkable than in what is claimed for the death of Christ. The claim of Christianity is this. The fundamental disharmony in the universe 
the dissonance in the totality of all things, the discord in the whole of created existence has been put right by the Buddha. In other words, here is the only answer, the only hope, the only truth to every problem and issue faced under the sun. It's a big claim, but that's what Christian gospel claims. We believe in big God. We human beings face all sorts of problems. I mean, personally, in our small individual lives, there are all sorts of issues in our lives. Family conflicts. There are bigger things in bigger problems that we experience as we witness today with the global pandemic. But the most basic human problem is that something that we cannot fix. No therapy resolve it, no pill can heal it, no political platform can elevate it, no social movement can transform it. Jesus Christ alone can save and reconcile you to God. That is the truth about everything that Christian gospel proclaims. Now, if you're someone who's interested to find out more, please keep coming back so that as we read the gospel, as we read and study the Bible, we can, uh, the Bible can teach you and help you why this is the truth. But for those of you who have come to see the truth, do you see the wonder of Jesus Christ? In case you've missed it, Paul comes back to it, reminding Colossians to whom they have come to trust. And Paul shows this by how Christ has changed their past, how Christ has transformed their future, and what must they do now in the present. Look at verses 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Uh, Paul divides Colossians' life into two parts. Uh, it's a good thing to remember. Uh, um, B.C. and A.D. Before knowing Christ, A.D., after sharing in Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, what was Colossians' life like, B.C., before knowing Christ? They were alienated from God. The word literally means have nothing to do with God. Uh, stranger relationship. And as a result, they were foolish in their thinking and wayward in behaviors. Uh, you know, I used to think that Australians were not hostile to God in their mind. You know, you think of Australians and you think people are uh, ignorant of God or have no interest in God. But not many Australians, average Australians, you would say, hostile to God. But when you are relating to the creator, your maker and creator of all things, ignorance is another expression of contempt. If a king, if a president, if your parent who has a rightful authority over you related to you and you responded back to them with ignorance, with passivity, without properly actively engaging in a manner that is worthy of them, that is hostility, isn't it? And the other thing that Paul reminds them is your mind matters. The way you think about God, when you're hostile to God, when you're ignorant of God, 
when you give no thought to God, when you're not thankful to God, rather you uh, grow in your bitterness and resentment against God, it always results in practicing evil deeds. Hostile mind leads to practicing evil deeds. And Paul uh, elaborates that further in Romans chapter 1, if you want to have a look at that. Their minds get darkened. As a result, they commit themselves to idolatry. That was Colossians' past. And as an extension, that is our past. When we did not respond to Jesus Christ, the creator and redeemer of all things, in faith and hope and love. But there are two important things about our past. Uh, One important thing to remember first is that we were alienated from God, that we are all guilty. Um, someone, if someone asks, uh, what do I need to believe in order to become a Christian? I think this would be one of the essential truths you must believe if you want to become a Christian. You must believe that in yourself there is nothing good to commend before God. That without Jesus Christ, you're alienated from God. That without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you on the day of Jesus' return. But here is the second truth about our past. Amazing truth is that our past is in the past. Completely dealt with. All the hostility that you harbored against God, the evil deeds that you practiced against God, Jesus has washed clean. Therefore, Paul called you uh, in the beginning of this letter, holy and faithful. Because Christ has paid the penalty of our sins in full. Christ's body of flesh died on the cross instead of ours. Through his blood, he has created us a new being and now a new body as church. And this is his grand purpose. goes on at the end of the verse, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. The language Paul uses here is the language of Old Testament sacrifice. Uh, For example, in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 15, um, when you offer sacrifice before God in the Old Testament, you're commanded to bring sacrifice that is without blemish. Paul wants wants the Colossians to be presented before God without blemish on that last day. And on the day of Jesus' return, because of what Christ has done for you, you will be presented before God holy and blameless. How's that for future? And that is your future. Now, what a transformation. Compare your past and now compare what is in store for you for future. This is what you did. Alienated from God, hostile with God in mind, practicing evil deeds. But the future that waits you is being presented holy and blameless before God sharing in the inheritance of the saints. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. But until that day, there is work to be done. Paul gives the first imperative here, verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, the sovereign grace of God on which everything depends does not obliterate human responsibility because God is the creator of all things it's in him all things hold together there is no such thing as a complete contradictory or tension between uh, 
God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Everything resides in together. But Paul says, you must continue in the faith steadfastly. Until Christ comes back, there will be trials and testings in the world. This is one thing Bible doesn't promise you. Bible doesn't promise you easy, happy, healthy life until Christ comes back. Christ will shower upon you generous and abundant gifts every day that we don't even count or remember. But by and large, it reminds us all the time there will be testings and trials because we follow the Lord who was crucified, then resurrected. But until that day, you must continue in faith, Paul says. Do not imagine that a person who abandons the faith will be presented blameless before Christ on the last day. If you abandon faith, Paul is saying, you will not be presented blameless and holy before God. Because apart from Christ, there is no reconciliation. A person whose confidence in Christ has collapsed can have no such hope. There is... Therefore, I want to say, you've got a lot of important things in your mind, your assessments, what job to get, whom to marry, how to plan your next 15 years of life. I'm sure there are a lot of important projects that you're writing in your diaries and journals and habit trackers. They're all important and good things. But there is no more important thing in your life, brothers and sisters, than for you to persisting in faith. I want to say, this is the most important thing in your life until Christ calls you home or he calls back, keep depending on Christ. That life may not always be triumphant. As we said last week, spiritually powerful life is not this jolly, happy, I can do all things by my power, that sort of spirituality. No, it's spiritual powerful life, if it is power of the cross, is enduring. It's being patient with joy, it's being filled with thankfulness for seeing what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do despite the challenges of life. Despite the sin clinging on your heart and trying to discourage you all the time. It's being patient with impossible people. It's, it's, it's being enduring in the ministry of the gospel despite the setbacks and challenges and disappointments and failures and discouragements. Persist, depending on Christ, firmly established in the faith. And the gospel will do that work in you. Because gospel is powerful. So, seeing as though that is the most powerful thing, uh, that the most important thing in your life, can I ask you, take a moment to think right now. What are some potential obstacles and challenges that may undermine your faith? In the next... Uh, right now, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next five years. What, what are some potential obstacles in your life that is undermining your faith? Have a think about it. So that you can share with one another, pray for one another, bring it to God in prayer, asking for God's help, uh, taking some practical steps to deal with sin that clings so close to your heart. So that you don't just uh, ignore it and be overcome by it and deceived by it. 
Paul says the way forward is by not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I know a lot of you guys have been doing um, a manuscript discovery type of growth group in the past week. Uh, it's wonderful, isn't it, when you go through a small letter like Colossians to do manuscript and read uh, uh, the whole uh, letter multiple times and try to get the purpose statement and so on. And I know, I know that many of you guys have come down on chapter 2, verse 6 to 7 as the purpose statement of the letter, a, a, as it probably is, and, and seems like a good candidate. But if you want to be different, you know, if you want to be a bit out there, I think this, this verse might not be a bad um, and shorter verse to remember for Colossians. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. So one of the, one of the key uh, uh, purpose statement of this letter, I believe, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Make it your ambition, make it your goal, make it your daily habit to not shift from the hope of the gospel you've received. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, the life. This gospel has been proclaimed under all creation. And Paul had said earlier how this gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world as it is evident in your life. And as it was evident in the lives of the Colossian believers. Nothing comes close to the importance and significance of this gospel. Therefore, stick with it. Do not allow some other way of seeing life and the world turn upside down. There will be many with the multimedia world that we are living in right now with YouTube and all sorts of philosophical gurus and intellects and the rich people and, and all the publications that are coming on Kindle and Audible. The deceptive human philosophy is real and is ever before us, but do not let any other way of seeing life and the world turn you away from the hope of the gospel. Do not move from the hope that the gospel has given you. It is the hope of all creation. It's the only truth that can deal with everything in this creation and bring it to fulfillment, restoration, redemption, and new creation. Remember that. Stick with it, and this gospel will make your faith stable and steadfast. This gospel will make you to keep, uh, uh, this gospel will give you unfailing hope even in, the, in front of death and fear and anxiety, this gospel will bring you on that day when we will see our Maker, our Creator and Lord, when we stand before His throne, this gospel will present us holy and blameless. And we will hear from Him, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise You for our Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the Alpha and Omega, the wonderful Creator and Redeemer who has made all things, who existed before all creation and who has now made us His body. Lord, please show us Christ each day uh, to see the depth of His richness, His wonder, His goodness, His glory, His beauty, His kindness, His patience, His compassion, His peace. Enable us to reside in it through the Spirit of Christ, and never moving away from the hope of the gospel we have heard, on which the hope of all creation rides. We look forward to that day when we will behold 
the reconciliation of all things with our own eyes, praising Him and glorifying Him. And until that day, Lord, please keep us all safe in your arm through the teaching of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.